Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About Time for True Crime. Hey. Hi. How are you guys? How are you guys doing? How's your week going? Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday and happy last ATFTC for the new year. Yes, this is the last 2022 episode. Oh my gosh, you guys, we've been doing this for months. And uh, hello, episode 50. It's like we timed that perfectly. (laughs) I'm just saying, though, that's pretty cool. We really did. So we decided that for episode 50, we would like to invite you all to send us some episode requests, some topic requests, and whatever is the most recommended, we will give you that topic in january hell yeah we will probably throw up that poll on our instagram so stay tuned for what that is or yeah. check out our show notes it's we right might there. do a couple of them just to see get some different feelers and things but please again comment anything on instagram send us a message if you want to send us an email again all the information's below and you know we're going to talk to you about it at the end uh yeah but we would really like to just hear from you and hear what you want because y'all we'll do we'll do it for you ask yeah. and you shall receive we love this shit it's our bread and our butter and even though i can't eat bread i'm mm. gobbling it up so or just butter like, uh, yeah literally <laughs> the, but i will anyway this is two things i can't have but just know i mean it in a good way <laughs> oh i do and i will sam and i went out to dinner this weekend tell me about all the carbs you had oh my god it was fresh bread from the oven and listen there are a lot of great gluten-free alternatives and i do try mom i swear i try but every now and then there's There's something about it a fresh roll with oh oh, i love it i know herbed butter just like a little yummy a little my mouth is watering Oh, it was so good. And then I felt like shit, but it was so good. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes you just have to live a little, okay? It's so true. And then Sam was so sweet. And we had like the cutest little date night. So we went out. Um, they did get me key lime pie to go because key lime pie is my favorite dessert. I did not know that. Ended up being there. Okay. Loved it. Um, and we went and saw this cute little light show. Oh. Cute. That we just like drove through. Uh, beautiful. Wild. Did not know some of the things you could do with like Christmas lights. That's so cool. But the road was so bumpy. We were like, like <laughs> we were like off-roading. So it was fun though. It was so sweet. It was a good night. Um, but you guys are our bread and butter and we want to share that. We would love to do that. Uh, that was my bread and butter story turned long diversion. But well, there we go. Here we are. Um, truthfully this is a long one okay so you want to hop into it i kind of do because and i'll preface this early Mm -hmm. so you guys all know because you clicked on it what the the case that we're talking about abby does not nope um so i'm gonna make her wait a little bit so don't tell her okay please but just between us um there's a lot of quotes in this so i really tried to take like raw quotes from a lot of the players in this because if they can say it in their own words, I, I'm not going to put words in their mouths. Yeah, um, fair. So let's just jump on into it, okay? Okay. Okay. So hey, hi, and hello to all of you lovely listeners. Hey. Thank you guys for joining me, Allie, in our very last episode of 2022. <laughs> I know. I just have to keep saying it because it's like we've grown so much and I'm so happy and I love every single one of you. I know. Um. Okay, stop. I can't get sappy. All right. I've already made her cry tonight. I know. She gave me the most thoughtful, like, tear-jerking Christmas gift that I can't talk about because I will cry again, but I will tell you at some point, I promise. Um, (laughs) And I'm still, I'm reeling. So, 
<clears throat> Let's just get into it. Are you eating an eclair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I always like to start my episodes off with the sources that I'm using because, honestly, I will forget at the end. You know this about me. Yep. So, just from the top, I'll let you know that I use some of the following. Articles from the New York Post, Two River Times, APP, NBC New York, and uh, Legacy.com for some of the obituaries because there's just not a whole lot of information on this. Right. So, again, all of the information that I use, and again, there's a lot of sources here. Sorry, Abby, you might have to hyperlink. <laughs> um, they are always linked in the show notes. So if you've got questions about anything and you want to check those things out, they are most certainly there. Love. So um, a couple of things I want to say from the start, though. This case is recent. Oh, there isn't a whole lot of information on it that's like confirmed by multiple sources. So I like okay. to have things confirmed by several sources before I even consider like introducing that into what we're going to talk about because it hasn't been checked and it's not you know what I'm saying there's no wikipedia page on this case there's no murderpedia there's no any of that even to just get some like background or like redirect to other more legitimate sources uh there's none of that so I've pieced together what I can and I will make corrections if I need to I love this some of this is contradictory so i'm going with what i saw the most frequently and over time so like right when it happened and most recently okay i that's a lot of administrative bullshit we'll move on but i just want you guys to know that well and you guys know obviously if you've been following us for a long time Allie and i are sticklers for sources even if we don't always say them immediately before we talk about the point that we got from each of them. Yeah, they're always right there at the bottom. They're always linked. You always have access to the same information we have because we don't believe in, I don't know. We're not going to take anyone else's work and we're not going to like talk out of our asses. We're here for some amount of academic integrity, whether that is making sure that people are getting the credit where credit is due for information, but also making sure that we're not feeding you absolute bullshit. So... It is really hard when there's no one base place to get all of the good articles on things. Yeah, and I can't get any of the court documents. It's really, I think, again, this only wrapped up a couple months ago. Right. So I get the sense that a lot of this hasn't been released yet. Okay. If it will be released at all. So we are getting the good good. So we are getting what I've put together, what I've seen in interviews, what I watched in like newsreels, all of this stuff. Okay. Love it. Okay. All right. So today... Yes. We are. We are. Going to Ooh. talk about oh. murders that took place on New Year's Eve 2017. Oh. So with it being, you know, the week of New Year's, where again, we're in that limbo week between Christmas and New Year's, and it's either really busy or nothing's going on. It's just really weird. And for some reason, we feel like we have to wait till the new year to like get started on life again. I can't explain it. I don't know why, but that's just how it is. You really had me going with we're going to, and I was like, Italy, Florida, somewhere nice, beautiful, warm. Tropical. No. <laughs> no. No, we're not. We're not doing any of that. Um, we're going to New Jersey, so we're going to be cold, okay. and we're only going a couple of years ago, New Year's Eve 2017. Now, All right. in order to take a closer look at this case, we're going to have to get some background information on the family that we're talking about. All right. Hit me. And that family is the Kologi family. 
Now, again, from the start, I've seen it pronounced a thousand different ways. <laughs> if you are like me and someone who needs to visualize it, the last name is spelled K-O-L-O-G-I, which at first glance to me was Kellogg's. I don't know why. <laughs> but I was thinking Kologi. I thought Kolochki. Okay. Like the little Polish cookies. Okay. I see that. Yeah. Um, not it. Nope. Um, I saw Kologi. Kologi. And so I'm going to say Kologi because okay. I saw that most frequently. But again, at first glance, I thought Kologi. So I guess if that's how you're reading it in your head, Fair. so be it. I don't really have a solid answer for you. Right. Okay. So let's get into some background. Stop distracting me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start with Linda Kologi. Linda. Linda was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, and she ended up settling in Long Branch, New Jersey. So a little put a little pin there because that's where we're going to be for the story but anyway she's lived there or she had lived there for over 20 years so she'd been there a while now she had a son from a previous relationship his name is jonathan ruiz okay and then after jonathan was getting a little bit older she met and married a man named steven kaloji okay now steven goes by steve i'm just gonna call him steve moving forward steve was a truck driver he was very athletic. He enjoyed sports, watching sports, playing sports. He played on several softball teams and loved to ski and was just very outdoorsy. Wild. Okay. And together, they were just very family-centric. They were all about spending time with the family, raising their children, of which they had three. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about them. So they have Stephen Jr., Okay. Uh, Brittany and Scott, and that's the birth order. So uh, Stephen Jr. is the oldest, Brittany's the middle, Scott's the youngest. Okay. Okay. And then there's one other child. And then there's one other that she had from a previous relationship that I believe is probably an adult at the time that we're going to be talking about. Okay. And so he was older. And I do not believe in the home. All right. That's good. Okay. Okay. So Stephen Sr.'s dad, so the dad in this, mm-hmm. um, and so the grandfather i guess to the kids is um his name is adrian adrian (laughs) and adrian has i guess for lack of a better term i I would call this woman his wife even though they're not legally married um her name is marianne they were described as life partners and like soulmates Mm -hmm. companions whatever you want to call it i get the sense that they probably had both been married previously in fact i know at least adrian was so steven's steve senior's dad you know was married to his mom at one point right um obviously they got divorced and for a very long time adrian and marianne uh, schultz that's her name Hmm. have been together and they all got along love it so So happy little nuclear family uh patch pieced together but still beautiful yeah but all but all happy and very close and the family spent a lot of time together love that so just to recap i just want to like give you a family tree so we're going to start at the top and work our way down sounds good just so you can visualize it so at the top we have adrian Mm -hmm. and not his wife but his partner again she's not biologically married to the married (laughs) but not biologically (laughs) related to any of the people that we're going to talk about but again mother figure so we've got adrian and marianne at the top then they had, or Adrian has the son, Stephen. Stephen is married to Linda. Linda has the adult son, Jonathan. But Steve and Linda together have Stephen Jr., Brittany, and Scott. Okay. Okay. Just so we're all on the same page here. I'm here. This is the family tree we're working with. Love it. 
I want to jump ahead to the evening of December 31st, 2017, just before midnight. Oy vey, okay. This is just a few years ago, my friends. So at their home in Long Branch, New Jersey, mm-hmm. were Steve, he's 42 years old, Linda, who's 44 years old, um, in-laws, I suppose, Adrian and Marianne, 70 years old, and then the children, Stephen, or, you know, S- Stephen Jr., who's 20, Brittany at 18, and Scott at 16. Okay. Okay. Brittany was actually home after her first semester of college, so she was away at school. She came back mm-hmm. for the holidays. She wouldn't be staying very long, maybe a couple of weeks before her second semester started up, but she was home to spend some time with family. Right. Now, also in the home on New Year's Eve were Steve Jr.'s girlfriend and some other, like, aunts and uncles and things. Mm-hmm. So, minutes before the clock would strike midnight, Scott, the 16-year-old, mm-hmm. hurried upstairs and into his bedroom. He put in earplugs, he turned off the lights, and he called down to his mom. She came up to his room because he called her, and as she walked in the doorway, he sat perched in the pitch black corner of his room, and he shot her seven times in the face and the chest. So this 16-year-old, in a pitch black bedroom, has shot his mother seven times, aiming mostly at her face. Now, Steve, Sr., the dad, Mm -hmm. and I know I just called him Steven before, Steve, (laughs) uh, runs up because he doesn't know what he's just heard, but it doesn't sound good, so he's running over. And as he's in view, he gets shot. Mm. And Linda is lying in a pool of her own blood. Scott didn't move. He just waited. Guns down his own dad. And at this point, both of Scott's parents are now dead. And it doesn't appear that the family downstairs are aware of what's gone on at this Uh, point. Okay. So Scott steps over his parents' dead bodies, walks down the stairs, and goes to the kitchen. I don't know how you do that. We're going to get there. Okay. Well, let me rephrase. We're going to talk about it. I don't okay. think we're going to get there. I don't think we're going to get to an answer. I do. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to not fully get that. That's yes. something I'm okay with. <laughs> so he's in the kitchen now. Mm-hmm. Marianne is there again. We'll call her, you know, grandmother-esque. Yeah. Shoots her. The fuck, kid? Yep. Four times. Four? Four times. This woman who he knew as a grandmother shoots her four times. Also in the kitchen, who's just watched this, is his 18-year-old sister, Brittany. Mm. He turns to Brittany and shoots her in the head. The fuck? So other family members in the house that were now on the same floor are able to escape out a door. They're no longer in the home. Good. Um, At this time, Adrian walks in, the grandfather. No. And sees his, basically, wife, his life partner, Marianne, on the floor of the kitchen, dead. Yeah. He drops to his knees. He is Adrian. overwhelmed. He is distraught. And with seeing his grandfather like overcome with emotion like mm-hmm. that, Scott just sort of snaps out of it and doesn't kill his grandfather. He spares his life. That's it. 
the so fuck? of the 14 rounds that Scott fired, 12 hit their intended targets. This 16-year-old was arrested without incident. Police obviously came. He didn't threaten them. He didn't do anything. And he was brought for an interview. Yeah. The rifle that he used was seized, obviously. Okay. The rifle he just used to annihilate his family. Fuck. Just so you're aware of this. So what was supposed to be, what I'm assuming, uh, a happy family party to ring in the new year all together and to celebrate, maybe drink, may, you know, probably everyone's staying the night, no one's driving home, it's one of the most dangerous times of the year to drive, please don't mm-hmm. drive, you guys. <laughs> um, that turned sinister in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Just minutes before, you know, the countdown, I'm sure everyone's watching the Times Square bullshit and all that. <laughs> and, right. You know, whoever's singing who shouldn't be singing is up there singing and, you know, all that stuff. I'm sure that they probably gathered around the TV that they watched that, that they enjoyed that. And Scott yeah. hurries up to his room, sits in pitch black, calls down to his mom. She probably thinks she can, like, grab him something. Like, what do you need, honey? Walks in, yeah. boom, dead. Toilet paper's out. Nope. Yep. So this is where we are. Fuck. Now, I want to get into the initial investigation and the court proceedings because, again, this wasn't resolved until this year, like just months ago. Yeah. So I would still call that ongoing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's pretty insane. So we're going to start with the interview with the detectives. Okay. So on January 1st, 2018, again, this is the early morning hours of New Year's Day. This is just a couple hours after he is basically annihilated most of his family shit yeah scott was interviewed by detectives and things aren't exactly black and white here because remember he's only a minor he's 16 years old and investigators can't interview a 16 year old without permission from a parent or from a guardian but guess what scott doesn't have right now shit a parent or a guardian why because he killed them yeah so this left sort of a spot for someone needing to step up into that and steven jr steps up okay the oldest brother the oldest brother so this 20 year old and i saw mixed reports either 19 or 20 i believe he was 20 i saw most saying he was 20 right either way barely an adult who has just seen the bodies of his parents his sister and his grandmother yeah murdered by his kid brother and so he is going to sit next to him basically in this interview room to just sort of be his advocate to allow permission i cannot imagine the strength the inner turmoil that push and pull to sit next to the brother that you love who murdered the people that you love right what i don't what goes through your i close my eyes i put myself in his position i can't get there i want to kill him i want to hug him i want i what do you do that's still your brother but he just killed your he just orphaned you and killed your grandmother and your sister and the only other sibling you have besides him it is literally just the two of you now and your grandfather who's beside himself that his partner his son and his granddaughter and daughter-in-law right have been murdered uh yeah i have no idea stronger than i am i have no doubt that that troubled him beyond anything that we can 
even imagine. I feel like I'm thinking a hundred miles a minute and I just can't, I can't even get there. Like, no, what do you do with that? I don't know. And so he sat quietly as detectives asked questions of Scott, kind of probed for some answers, tried to figure out what the hell just happened right. in the last few hours. So what I think is remarkable. So Stephen sat there like quietly, didn't mm-hmm. interrupt, didn't do anything, didn't show a whole lot of emotion. It was only when Scott had asked permission to use the bathroom and was escorted you know, to the bathroom did he lose it. Like he yeah. lost it. He broke down. He bawled his eyes out. He got angry. He got sad. And in those few minutes while he was alone, he was able to go through those emotions. And when Scott came back in the room. Clear it right up. Yep. He shut it down. He, he put that aside and knew we needed to be there for his brother and just sit there. That I know. Fucking amazing. Amazing. I know. I want to talk a little bit about that interview or interrogation or whatever you want to call it. Okay. And this is kind of going to start the quote heavy part. All right. But I, again, think it's very important. So a lot of information I have is from the Asbury Park Press. I'm going to call it APP. Okay. And they've got several articles on this case. So this isn't all just from one. This is over and over and over again with different writers and different like they kept up with this case okay so again i'll refer to it from here on as app but just so you know this is what we're talking about so scott's in there with his brother his brother's staying quiet he's with two detectives right now scott told detectives that he had been quote suffering off and on from hallucinations since he was a child Mm. And that he, quote, had spent the past year thinking about doing something to hurt his family. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine being these detectives with a 16-year-old in front of you who's probably got covered in blood of his loved ones telling you coldly that he's just thought of this for a year and just did it. So he told them that he had loaded two mags with 30 rounds each and had even considered just shooting until he ran out of bullets and really killing everyone in the home and then moving on over to a neighbor who he said bullied him when he was a kid. So he was just going to kind of take more people out. And in this interview, he said that by seeing his grandfather emotional, he, quote, snapped back to reality and spared his grandfather's life. He didn't kill him as he had, I guess, initially intended to. What a hero. So... This also from, again, APP News, conversation between Detective Andrea Tazi, which I saw multiple different articles saying, oh, now a sergeant and then now a lieutenant. So I don't know if like neither, like if it was (laughs) if they got it wrong or if, again, so much time had passed in between them that she really did make rank sergeant and then lieutenant. So whatever she is, you go, girl. Yes, queen. Okay. And then um, so it's Andrea Tazi. I'm. They really refer to her as detective a lot in this, but I feel like I should use her current rank. So I'll say lieutenant. Um, Congrats, LT. Yes, girl. And then detective Michael Verdadero. Love it. It's a very cool last name. Really love that. Um, And then, of course, Scott in the room. So um, I'm going to say detective Mike because I feel like I'm going to butcher his last name. Verdadero. (laughs) Um, He asked him, do you feel like yourself right now? And Scott said, yeah, that's the strange thing. It's not, like, affecting me. 
So then Lieutenant Tazi asked him how he felt about his parents. And he said, they're good parents. And she said, you love them? He said, yeah, that's the strange thing. And then later in the same interview, he said, I don't know how I felt. It was all over the place. When everything was happening, it felt like I was watching it. Like I was further back in my mind. I could see it, but it felt like it wasn't me. Even though I felt like I wasn't doing this physically, I was able to see everything, like them moving in the firing, and then they stopped moving. Yeah, that's how it works. Fucking haunting to hear a 16-year-old say that. He also told them that when he shot them in like the chest or anything like that, and they kept moving, mm-hmm. he would just go up and try to shoot them square in the head because he, quote, didn't want them to be in pain. Oh, don't shoot your fucking parents then. I think there's Pro a really tip. easy way to get around that, but okay. Mm-hmm. So, and this, this is going to, this is a big part of this case to me, what I'm about to talk about. Okay. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. So he told the detectives that he had never shot a gun before. Okay. It was his brother's gun. His brother lawfully owned it. He lived in the home, the 20 year old, okay. uh, Stephen Jr. But he had never shot one. He didn't know anything about them and had no idea how to even go about handling it. So instead, he watched videos on how to do everything. He looked up how to load them, how to what to expect for a recoil, what to expect when, you know, shooting in general. How loud was this going to be? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Research, research, research. And he said that he knew he belonged in a mental institution. Okay. Okay. All right. And then he said that he knows right from wrong and, quote, doubts he would do it again, but he can't be sure. Okay. Okay. So now we're going to get to court because there's a lot at play here. And yeah. I, if you didn't catch it with the hallucinations and the everything, that the, the big thing here with court is no one's trying to claim that he didn't kill them. Right. He's not denying that either. The question is, can he use the insanity plea? Can he plead not guilty by reason of insanity, which is very rarely won and also illegal in many states, though not in New Jersey. So he actually had a chance. Yeah. Rarely used. And even in that rarely used. Very rarely rarely won. That's wild. Okay. Because and a lot of times it's difficult. If someone's going to stand trial for that, then they have to be proven like competent. Mm-hmm. A lot of people proven competent don't also get proven insane. And by stating that he knew right from wrong. He's admitting that you're competent, at least in the moment of the crime, which is what not guilty by reason of insanity is. Correct. Yeah. So it kind of negates that. But we're going to talk about it. Okay. Because I have a lot of mixed feelings on this case. Okay. But I'm furious. <laughs> is he tried as an adult or as a minor? They try him as an adult. I think that makes sense to me. He's 16. That being said, quick little pin. I do want to look into this, but there was a 10-year-old who just shot his parents or mother oh, awful. in Wisconsin, and he is being tried as an adult, which I was like, 10 feels a little young to me as I an know. adult, but 16, I could see. That's not far off. No, and I can see that too. So we're going to step away from the interview that we just sort of quoted. Okay. Remember, that was just hours after the murders. Moving forward, there's several hearings several court dates and pieces of evidence entered in and different information coming to light and all of these things that go into cases Mm -hmm. and 
there's still not a whole lot available on this case to start with. And then it's also tough to hammer down specific dates. So I'm not going to pretend to. I'm not going to BS you and give you, oh, I think it's probably here. No, I'm going to give you the Mm -hmm. facts that I know were discussed in court. I can't tell you chronologically when they happened, but I know they were discussed. I'll take it. So in 2019, determined he'd be tried as an adult, not as a juvenile. So that carries some different rules, too. And the rest of what we're going to cover here and what we're going to talk about was used in court. And this was between 2019 and 2022. Okay. Okay. So just so we're kind of aware, there's a there's a few year span. Again, COVID's in there. You know, think that. Yes. So some of that other information that came to light. For one, Scott was diagnosed with autism in his childhood. So okay. that was something that hadn't been discussed yet. His parents had homeschooled him. I saw varying reports. I couldn't tell if it was like from bullying that he experienced in school or if it was just better for an education plan that he was homeschooled, but he was homeschooled. And testimony had also revealed that Linda had, uh, the the mom, Mm -hmm. had forbidden Scott from sharing with his therapist that he had thoughts of killing people. Okay. So apparently that was something that he had vocalized to his mom. His mom did not allow him to share that because she was terrified that he'd be institutionalized and she didn't know what would happen to him there. Right. Understood. And, you know, as we know, we really don't have many psychiatric facilities at all. So Mm. where they would even place him, you know, could be up in the air, you know? So maybe she felt like she could save him. Maybe she didn't believe him. I don't know. We can't ask her, but I think that there was probably a lot that went into that. And unfortunately, if, if this conversation even did happen, Right. If he right. ever did share that he felt that way. And again, I am always skeptical to believe because the survivors tell the story. Yeah. Every time. And his family has didn't. no voice. Yeah. yeah. So we can't ask his mom if this was a conversation that happened, though it seems to be pretty agreed upon that it did. But I just saying I'm questioning it. But right. Y'all can believe what you want. That's what we're here for. So. What also came to light here? Mm-hmm. Because he never told his therapist, he never got a higher level of care. But he was connected with mental health treatment, which I think is important to know. Yeah, that's a good step one. Also, what was talked about is that Scott didn't have friends. He didn't have a girlfriend. I don't think he ever had a girlfriend. And he still slept in the same bed as his parents. As his parents? Very. At 16? That's very uncomfortable. That's very uncomfortable. That's very, very uncomfortable. That's icky. 16 years old. I feel like seven is too old. (laughs) I don't know. It stresses me out. It's not good. Like puberty, no way. Listen. However, if they're gonna if they're gonna use this, what bean? She said, "I, I agree." You guys can hear her. Hell. She's hilarious. Okay. If you believe that there's something severe, like mental illness, going on here, mm-hmm. then maybe you can tie that in. I don't know some sort of regression yeah. some sort of whatever I'm, I'm not sure but worth noting definitely personally i don't think any typical 16 year old would be doing this so i think that that's pretty clear this is not an atypical case or excuse me not atypical case right. this is atypical <laughs> um yes you guys know what i mean so <sighs> He also, again, reported experiencing hallucinations on and off for his whole life and had toyed with the idea of hurting his family for the whole of 2017. 
meaning for you know that year right he was really toying with the idea going back and forth about whether or not he wanted to hurt his family oh which is terrifying so everything that we've discussed here was said in the trial that first interview with the detectives had been videotaped Mm -hmm. so that one where again we know that steven broke down when he was alone scott came back answered questions as they were asked was coherent was compliant yeah yeah was able to have that conversation and those were the quotes that we talked about and despite scott's defense team's attempts to get that video ruled out it was admissible yeah so that was entered into evidence so i want to get into testimony um given by um miss tozzy okay lieutenant tozzy if you will yes tozzy tozzy t-o-z-z-i if you must know t-o-z-z-i so i'm gonna say tozzy yeah um anyway she's a badass so she is obviously put on the stand and testified to the following um that while revealing that he experienced auditory hallucinations when he was seven or eight years old scott told her and the other officer that was there that he wasn't hearing voices commanding him to kill when he set out on the new year's eve family massacre okay okay so this is again a quote from app but she again testified that though he had been hearing and those things since he was seven they were the, not present this yeah, night the day that he said i'm going to do this and this is the day that i'm going to do this didn't have voices telling him to do that okay um she described him as quote quite articulate which he was he's yeah. very well spoken and that he told her the order that he shot his family in so he could recall the events very clearly he yes. knew that he killed his mom and then his dad and then mary and then his sister right he could recall that um the lieutenant also said that he wore them meaning earplugs the earplugs that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier because he didn't know how lot how loud it was going to be when he shot the gun okay so, so he was able prepared. to at least prepare and protect himself yep and she also said quote he said that earlier in the evening and possibly earlier that week he had researched how to use the ak-47 okay okay so that shows forethought yes premeditation so she also testified saying that they found on scott's phone that he had searched whether the ammunition that he was going to be using would pierce body armor body armor yes the reason for that was because he was preparing for a shootout with the police and wanted to know if the rounds that he had would take out police officers or if he should just buckle if they show up like could he kill them too or no and of course his uh search showed that um it it wouldn't pierce the body armor and so he couldn't just kill the police and so uh that was some valuable information for him yeah again all of this premeditation just hold on to this so of course she's cross-examined by defense as they all are and the defense team asked if you know if he had told them that he told anybody about his mental health issues okay and she said yes that they he had told them that he told his mom and his grandfather about it okay so the defense then asked quote no one ever took that kid to a psychiatrist for his mental health problems and the lieutenant answered 
Correct. Again, she's not the fucking shrink, but all right. All right. So what's happening here, if, you know, you can kind of see they're setting the t- the scene. The prosecution are a- asking her questions in a way to show premeditation, to show that he was fully aware of what he was doing, that he described in detail what he was doing, the preparations he made before that, mm-hmm. what he did during it, the order in which the events happened, all things that someone might not be able to recall in like a psychosis state. Right. But the defense attorney is coming back and saying, right, but he's sharing that he's got hallucinations and he's sharing that he did advocate for himself. And to your knowledge, he even shared with you that no one got him to a psychiatrist, right. which is just interesting because we believe he's involved in therapy. Even right. if he couldn't share with the therapist that he had thoughts of killing people, that still tells me he's connected with therapy, no? Yes. That being said, a psychiatrist is going to be the one giving right, meds. Giving him but- meds. I also think that that is a little misleading to. I I also think that like while you and I know that a psychiatrist prescribes medication and a psychologist does like the actual like behavior therapy and things like that, that those terms get used so interchangeably because people think that they mean the same thing. Yeah. That I'm wondering if that was just a misnomer. Yeah, it's possible. And I also just. Even if it wasn't, even if I'm just saying, like, you know exactly what you're talking about, um, meds aren't going to stop someone from wanting to kill people. Like, meds are great for evening out, chemi- like, neurotransmitter chemicals and, like, balancing that out. They don't create or destroy thought patterns. No, the individual has to work on that. That doesn't yes. just happen for you. You can, but it takes a lot of really dedicated and time-intensive work. Right. So... Just things I want to point out there. Yeah. Um, I want to get into the back and forth with prosecution and defense because, again, there's no doubt that he committed this crime. This trial is just to determine punishment, the, the essentially. Plea. Yeah. Well, yeah. in the plea, can he can he be sentenced to a psychiatric facility based on this for a short period of time and then be released? Is this going to be, you know, a mental health setting? Is it not? What What's this going to look like? Right. Can we even find him liable for this in the first place? Yeah. Fair. So, first, the interview was admitted. And, again, that's the interview where we had the quote-heavy piece. He said, you know, I feel like I know the difference between right and wrong. This is how I prepped everything. I also, you know, loved my parents. Yeah, they were good to me. I guess I just didn't feel anything. Doesn't affect me. Whatever. So that interview that the defense didn't want, of course, it's in. But the defense now has made several pokes at it, right? So they're going to have to do everything they can to try to make it not credible. So this is what they said. First, they said that he was in no way competent to waive his right to have an attorney present. But he was having a very casual and typical and coherent conversation so it was believed that he was and his straight up barely adult brother guardian said it was okay correct as the guardian now however they also made an argument that steven jr shouldn't have been the guardian and the reason for that and i actually can get behind this is that he's a victim in this case oh absolutely he witnessed what happened here he's not a third he's not third party he's not whatever but then you also think about it a parent or a guardian is never going to be a neutral third party to Correct. a juvenile that's being questioned. So kind of have to take that with, for what it is. 
So the other thing that they pointed to in this was that the gun legally belonged to Stephen Jr. So it was a conflict of interest because he could be held criminally liable for how the firearm was used. Right. So how could you let him be the guardian? I can wrap my head around that argument. Absolutely. That makes sense. prosecution pushed back saying again scott answered questions had appropriate conversations that showed that he was mentally present he was coherent he could have those conversations and they also commented on how steven jr carried himself that he left his emotions at the door only when he was alone did he show emotion and then very quickly when people entered the room again he was able to compartmentalize that he put that aside and focused on you know the task at hand basically So another point that the prosecution made, which is, again, what I kind of call back to, is the premeditation here. Right. All of that forethought, looking up how to shoot the gun, how to load them, how to prepare for recoil, the fact that he had debated the idea of hurting his family for a long time, then even researched if the rifle would be enough to stop police if he ran into that issue. That, to me, says he's truly thinking out the whole scene. He's not just thinking about, oh, I'm so mad I want to kill my mom. Or, like, like, this is a mission and this is what I was told. He is thinking ten steps ahead to try mm -hmm. to give himself the best shot. That's what he's doing. To me. Yeah. So, this is what prosecution lays out. We're going to enter the expert witnesses because there's always some. Always. So, again, prosecution and defense each hired one. And in my opinion... Both could be problematic. I don't Absolutely. know these people. I am always, again, my conspiracy theorist brain, my issue with fairness always gets kind of... I just see such a gray area with expert witnesses, with hiring expert witnesses. Yeah. I absolutely understand their role. I think they're very important. But I just always get a little confused about handpicked because if you can have three expert witnesses that agree with you and i have three expert witnesses that agree with me it just really matters who's the most compelling or who has the best resume or cv or whatever which is why if it was me i would say the judge should be the one making that call if you need an expert witness great you put an emotion for it the judge hires the witness for both people that would be my way around that but it just it just seems very yeah it's a gray area again i see the crucial role they play i also see how that can be and i yeah and i don't like that so anyway let's talk about it cool so let's start with the defense the defense hired a psychologist named maureen santina okay maureen maureen and she said that scott is quote schizophrenic and was in the throes of a psychotic and dissociative episode when he shot his family members okay okay so that's her expert opinion on this And then the defense team followed this up, saying he's out of control with his thoughts. His mental illness has taken control. It's been developing since he was born, and it's in full force on New Year's Eve 2017. So they're trying to, like, paint the backstory here with that testimony. Right. Okay. So let's switch hats. We're going to go over to the prosecution's expert witness. All right. Who is Dr. Park Dietz. All right. It's literally diet with a Z at the end. Dietz. Like, diets? Dietz? I don't know. He is a psychiatrist. Okay. So different different realms here. Psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. He does not believe that Scott is schizophrenic. He okay. completely, like, calls BS on that diagnosis and instead just 
confirms the already given diagnosis that Scott has autism. Okay. So prosecution, along with this, said, quote, our focus has to be on the facts of this case. And those facts tell you time and time and time again that the defendant knew exactly what he was doing. He was aware of what he was doing and he was responsible for the choices that he made. He threatened to do exactly what he did. Does that show intent? Does that show he knew what he was doing? Of course it does. Yeah. So that's, you know, their little coupling with, you know, yeah. and again, there's a lot of extra stuff in here. I'm pulling what You're I think is... You're getting highlight reel, I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to pull what's important. So then the defense, of course, rebuts this and says, make no mistake about it. Dr. Dietz is a great storyteller, but he is not a truth teller. Oh my gosh. Nice little line. And as always, there's back and forth and back and forth. So, of course, defense made a dig at the state's expert witness and his credibility. So, you know, damn well, the state's got to do it back. So they do. So the prosecution comes back, you know, with a dig at Maureen Santina. Right. As they have to. I mean, you're literally trying to. Discredit. Yeah. Discredit the other side. The other side's expert witness. Okay. The state says that she was lying from the start. And actually had failed to remove a, quote, junk science organization oh. from her CV, which, uh, yikes, had been shut down in 2017. Yowza. So for years, it just stayed on her CV. But it was like something that was like an organization that was taken down, that was disproven, that was yeah. discredited, that was literal, that was shut down. That was an actual hoax. Yowza. And they pulled that from her own CV that she didn't review before she went up there. I mean, hey, fair game. So prosecution also points out, and this is sort of odd to me because there's a lot of contradictions here. So we'll try to make sense of it together. Okay. But they're saying that Maureen didn't acknowledge the fact that the hallucinations and paranoia were really only talked about years after the murders. So he admitted, okay, like, some hallucinations he used to have when he was a kid that first night, right? Right. And here and there he would talk about it. But the sheer number of hallucinations and the sheer amount of paranoia and all of these things seemed to like increase and increase and increase as Every they talked about, talk it. about it. Yeah. At least that's what I can put together. Now, we know that he shared that he experienced them. But my take on this, again, is that they're really not saying that they don't believe him but they're saying that the severity of them probably didn't grow the way it's described and so it's on the psychologist to call bs on that and she didn't okay do you know what i'm saying yeah i don't know where i sit on that i'm not even sure if i'm interpreting that correct because it it's so contradictory because you right. look things up and they're like well why didn't you say this he never talked about hallucinations before and then there's a bunch of others saying well of course he did so my guess is that it's somewhere in the middle saying, no, he didn't talk about them as much before. Okay. I would also potentially say there's two other ways that I would have interpreted okay. it also. Hit me. One That's why being, we're doing this, girlfriend. One being he didn't talk about them in relation to the crime. Maybe he talked about them, but not as a motive for why he did what he did. Mm -hmm. The other one could be talked about them. Um, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. I'm inclined to believe that he was reasonable and competent at this time. But just to throw it out there, just in case, 
Um, it is possible that he didn't fully understand what hallucinations were. And the more they were explained, the more he was like, oh, that happens. This happens. Mm-hmm. That being said, he brought it up on his own. I would expect that he be- like knows what he's experiencing. And I don't think that if he was in a dissociative state during the shootings and quote unquote snapped out of whatever it was he was in, mm-hmm. that you can really call any of his truth full answers in that interrogation interview that was admissible in court. If he didn't talk about it, then I would say that that was the time to talk about it. So like, I'm kind of inclined to say, "Mm." right. And he even denied saying that a voice told him to do it. He said the day of, he wasn't experiencing that. Yeah. So how can you point to like, I'm personally, I'm not arguing that he's experiencing hallucinations. I don't live in his head. I can't tell you that. What I can say is that typically hallucinations don't retroactively implant. Well, not only that, but I guess the way I look at it, these, these are thoughts that he was having for a long time. Yeah. And whether he experienced hallucinations or he didn't. He still had the the forethought, the wherewithal to prepare in the way that he did. Think of every possible outcome, which is just not consistent with psychosis. It's just no. not. And he wasn't just missionary. It wasn't, well, I need to do this. It wasn't revengeful. It wasn't anything. It just was. Yeah. I just wanted to hurt my family. Which normally they can point to a reason as to why. Yeah. Or that something told them to do it or whatever. So I guess I just... Whether he's experiencing them or not, he's admitting that they weren't the reason for it. So is there a mental illness at play? Absolutely. But is the mental illness, are we going to say this is the only reason? I don't know. So, and we'll get more into it, but I just wanted to say that. So, okay, fair. It seems like that was the state's argument sort of pushing back. So this junk science BS that she's got in her CV and also that I think they're questioning why she didn't push back a little bit okay so now with all things the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle it usually does and the prosecution said quote if you want to throw stones about credibility that's probably a good place to start okay talking about the junk science and this whole hallucination piece so Again, it goes on for hours and hours and hours. And I will not bore you with all the details. Okay. I want to get into the ruling. Hell yeah. So this went on for a long time. Again, the back and forth, the whatever. Scott has not taken the stand. He's not testified in his own trial, which I think is a smart move on his part. Yep. And his defense team. And he sat there quietly with his head down most of the time. He might have, like, rocked side to side a bit for part of mm-hmm. the trial. Mostly looked at his hands, played with his own fingers, was really just sort of maybe listening, maybe not, but wasn't acting obnoxious by any means in the courtroom. Yeah. And the jury returns a verdict. Guilty. Okay. On all counts. Okay. Okay. So the insanity plea that they were going for was not founded. All right. So for everyone involved, this was heavy. It was difficult. Yeah. And emotions rose on both sides of the aisle. It was very heated, to say the least. Yeah. 
So according, well, go ahead. Ugh, no, I don't know. I'm just thinking. The more, it doesn't matter if he was guilty or not. Guilty just means that a 16 year old lost his life to in pretty much incarceration, and not guilty by reason of insanity also pretty much means he loses his life to a psychiatric unit. So either way, it's gonna impact everybody there but it's just so sad i think if he truly did beg for help Mm -hmm. and said these are the feelings that i have i don't want to feel this way yeah then he should have gotten help i also don't see in my own mind as you know not a clinician by any means Mm -hmm. any sort of connection between the hallucinations and the crime that took place because he's saying they had no part that they they weren't present. Now, he yeah. said that he would see a transparent woman floating into the ceiling and he would see something like cartoons on World War II aircrafts and things that yeah, were visual hallucinations. But mostly he focused on auditory hallucinations. And again, didn't seem like any of that came to, to play with the night that all of this happened. And I also right. feel like there's something symbolic and intentional in it being New Year's Eve. Yeah. Maybe that was just when the family was gathered. I don't know. But I feel like it's the holiday season and could yeah. have been other times too. I also wonder if there's that symbolism in a fresh start with a new year and things like that. I think that that's possible. So I'm just, I'm trying to look at both sides and really I'm torn because if he was really in the pain that is described, then I feel awful. But well, I also feel like so much of this was thought out. And and an important thing to mention, mm-hmm. he sat in the dark room, his own bedroom, with the light off and called his mom. And he said he had the light off for no other reason than he knew if his mom saw him with the gun that he would snap out of it. So he didn't want to snap out of it. You know what right. I'm saying? He, he didn't want he to. He knows that if he locked eyes with his mom and he saw that look in her face, he wouldn't be able to do it. But he just fucking wants to. For me, what it came down to is, well, all of the forethought. Thinking through the whole thing. The not research. Just how to get the bullets. What bullets work with this gun? How do I work this gun? What should I expect? Also, do these bullets work with police? Like, all of that The earplugs so that I don't get hurt. So that I can still... Ugh. But really what gets me is if he's in this much pain you know what else you can google how do i stop how does this stop how do i get this out of my brain can i Instead call of, like nine one one? yeah how do i i don't uh, how do i find a psychiatrist if my mom doesn't want me to talk to one you can google that shit and don't tell me you care about your mom's rules if you can just as easily kill your mom yeah And ultimately, like, I do understand and I don't want to invalidate any concerns she had about having an autistic child in a psychiatric unit. That can be scary. Like, not a lot of people understand autism, but a lot of people don't have to. They're not touched by it quite the same way. And so I get where you might be concerned, especially as a mom, especially as someone who loves your fucking kid. I mean, in the in the episode we did with the victimization of people with disabilities. Yeah astronomical and i just i just look at any sort of long-term care that there are some incredible people that work there but it also attracts some of the lowest of the lows that want to take advantage of an already disadvantaged population but i can see i can see a lot of concerns that she might have in an institution i can see that i think my 
disappointment and this is not at all to be victim blaming obviously she could not have stopped this even if she wanted to no but his mind was made up the only thing that i wish i could have impressed upon her if i had that ability or anybody now who might need to hear it is that there are ways to have that conversation with your kid about how to appropriately discuss that with a therapist or a psychiatrist because Without the plan to hurt yourself or others, there is no mandated reporting there. Mm-hmm. And so being able to say, hey, I'm having these thoughts. I'm having violent thoughts and I don't know what to do about them. They scare me. That's totally fine. Nothing. They're not going to throw your kid in an institution for that. You're going to have a really detailed, delicate plan that you work with for a long time. But it's like you're going to your Take your kid to your primary, her yeah. primary care. I mean, there are, there are steps that you can get to before. Yeah. So many steps, as you're saying. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, well, that's it. Lock them up. Hell, we barely even have the facilities to do that. <laughs> that yeah. That no one, but like, that, that no one's, that no one's aching to do that. Right. Like, it's, it's just sort of, that's and what we're dealing with. Yeah. So it's just hard because I totally understand and get where she's coming from with the concern. But if it's even true, if that again, if it's true, I know. And if it is true, like baby girl, there are so many ways to do it. I know. And he—that's the only thing for me. If he can Google how do I work a fucking AK forty-seven, he can Google how do I stop having violent thoughts. Those are very easy. Mm-hmm. And one of which requires killing people; the other doesn't. And to me, that's where the the choices go wrong. Like. I think he sounded fully culpable. I feel like he sounds coherent with it. Responsible for his actions. He says in the fucking video, yeah, I think I know right from wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. that to me, that checks. You were present. You were an adult. Well, let's find out what those closest to him thought. Yes. Okay. So, um, Stephen Sr. Steve. I keep right. saying, after I said I would call him Steve, I've only called him Stephen. <laughs> um, Steve's mom, Carol. So, again, not Marianne, but I'm assuming Adrian's ex-wife. Yes. Um, Carol asked the judge if he could send him to a place where he could get help for his mental illness. She okay. said, quote, Scott was a 16-year-old child who recognized that he needed help because of damaging thoughts. He told his mom he was having bad thoughts about killing people, including family members. Although he was found guilty, I do believe Scott's mental condition is the impetus behind the night in 2017. I'm asking the court for some compassion and understanding in this matter. Okay. Now, I don't know if she was privy to all of... Yeah, to the actual, like, family conversations that was going on. He only shared it with what he said was his mom and his grandfather. I'm assuming the grandfather would be Adrian, but there's, you know, another side of the family there, too, which could be possible. Either way, it's not her. So that's not to say that there wasn't there weren't conversations afterward or what could we have done? He said this or if this is just what she heard in court. Right. I don't know. Again, can't ask her. So but that's still Scott's grandmother saying that his biological grandmother, this woman who has lost her son, her daughter in law. Yeah. And her granddaughter. Yeah. At the hands of her own grandson horrible it's it's awful any way you look at it and then on the flip side we have marianne's sister so again the grandmother figure the other grandmother figure here yeah who was murdered her sister's name is jane wallace and she said that he should suffer adult 
consequences 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 he should suffer adult consequences for his heinous acts there is no closure he left behind a long list of emotionally crippled survivors what has he done to deserve a break okay so a lot of this back and forth yeah family members having to relive this years later speaking only in february of this year holy hell and their victim impact statements and ultimately the judge named mark lemieux okay had this to say he unleashed a fury on these individuals who did nothing but love him these are not acts of a child these are not acts of a juvenile these are acts of a cold-blooded killer the intention of this court is that this defendant never see the light outside of a jail cell ever again i hope one day you realize the magnitude of what you've done here that's a pretty hefty statement yeah now scott who was 20 years old at the time of the trial 16 at the time of you know the murders right um again sat with his head down showed no emotion during the judge's statement there nor did he show emotion during his sentencing so the sentence was handed down 150 years in state prison holy hell and that was only in june of this year so just a few months ago was his sentence actually handed down and new jersey has no early release act so it means that any inmate has to serve a minimum of 85 percent of their yeah sentence before they're eligible for parole so if we do the math he's got 127 and a half years at the least making him a whopping 147 years old oh so um i'm not i'm not betting that he's getting out yeah unless something gets overturned and he either gets an appeal or yeah, yeah. an appeal or a psyche yeah, whatever so one of the members of his defense team said that he's going to appeal the conviction he said the bottom line is scott is not a cold-blooded killer scott is and was severely mentally ill but he will be sent to a state prison to be with cold-blooded killers that is a rough one. I think this is one of those cases that makes you think. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you question his age. It makes you question the family unit. It makes you question his mental health. It makes you question the expert witnesses because they both seem problematic, in my opinion. Yep. And even if they're not, well, that's almost worse because they disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um. There's no doubt in my mind that mental illness is at play here, but mental illness does not compel you or make you no. commit any action. I think it's a tragedy all around, and it doesn't make me feel better to know that a mentally ill child is locked away for his entire life, and it doesn't make it wouldn't make me feel better if he wasn't. I think ultimately... The saddest part for me when I heard all of this, not crime directly related, but just the fact that we have such an adversarial system. If we stopped wasting time trying to discredit each other's expert witnesses and actually work together as a team to be like, what's going on with this kid and how do we keep more people safe and him safe? I don't know what conclusion we would have reached. Maybe it would be the same. Maybe he'd still be going to jail, but maybe we wouldn't have spent precious trial time deciding this kid's future on how 
good somebody's CV is. You know what I mean? And not that that's not important. Like, I understand the no, role I know. with where we're at. But it's just frustrating because this kid, no matter what, is autistic and mentally ill. But can't we also argue, just to play devil's advocate, mm-hmm. that in almost every case that we talk about here, yeah, the offender has got some kind of mental illness. Frequently does not mean he's not in control of his own actions and i say he she he whoever it is right. the individual the has free will yeah so are we going to say that he didn't have free will that he didn't research this for hours potentially oh, no. weeks that he planned this that he sat and perched in his room and the, with the, the lights off with earplugs in to just be entirely invisible his mom can't even switch on the light he shoots her dead Dad comes in, shoots him, steps over their bodies, steps through their blood, goes downstairs, spills more blood, murders his sister, shoots her in the face. Yeah. Well, and he and goes, eh. Here's the thing. I agree. I think that he was responsible. I think that he should be charged as an adult, and I think that he was fully capable of knowing right from wrong. He said it himself the night of. That, to me, is enough proof, because so many people directly after a traumatic event like that whether or not you're the one doing it will have a weird ass memory things will be missing that's a very normal for trauma brain he this kid recalled like, everything yeah like clockwork like it was like what Back he ate for hand. lunch yeah. yeah that to me says enough that being said he was 16 and autistic and mentally ill and something about the triad there just makes me feel like there were maybe a few more safeguards we should have hit. And not to say that I think anything here is wrong. I think he should be, you know, responsible and have to pay for what he's done. But since I'm not a 16-year-old boy with autism, I don't know what that processing looks like. Our brains aren't developed until we're 25, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's... It's interesting to me how quickly that was just like he's either got to be entirely mentally ill and not at all responsible or he's a cold-blooded killer. I think it's got to be somewhere in the middle. I think it could be. And I think, again, this case makes you think. Yeah. Um, it's a good one. I mean, not a good one, but no, I, it's a thinker. I Well, I appreciate it. But I just, obviously, the timing of it is relevant. But yeah. You know, he's only 20 now. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's in prison and it makes you wonder, you know, does he deserve to be there? Would he have benefited from a psychiatric facility? Or is he like an Ed Kemper where he killed his grandparents, went to a psych facility, thrived, got yeah. let out because he was fine? You know, well, so it, it just, it again, all of it to say it makes you think, I think... At the end of the day, Stephen Jr. Yeah. Has lost his entire family. Stephen Jr. deserves like a big fat fucking hug and a big fat cup of coffee. And a lot more. And a blanket. And peace. And a lot of therapy. Yeah. And, you know, I I guess, you know, for the, the jury to find him, like all 12 of them to determine this, for you the judge to feel so strongly... Yeah. makes me think that there was some really compelling evidence in there to prove that while he might have been battling other things, those things aside, they were not, they did not contribute to this in the weight that the defense is going to 
pretend do you know what i'm saying i think that that's that was probably what was demonstrated excellently yeah and i mean that speaks for itself no i mean he spoke for himself no one put words in his mouth he said that and that was before coaching from a defense team and i know that you have rights to do that but he waived that right again it wasn't that he was saying he didn't do it like why are you coming at me it wasn't me that was never the question he was fully understanding that he was going to be talked to yeah and despite you know his research telling him that he would lose in a gunfight with the police um you know only at that time did he really put it away and wait to be arrested if he thought he could have won i don't think this would have been over yeah i also he didn't want to snap out of it that's why he wouldn't let his mom see him yeah that's the thing that gets me i the forethought. The forethought, the planning. The med- like The premeditation. The Googling, that's enough for me. I check. Done. Saying that you've thought about it on and off for a year, done. Uh, that was it. But then the Googling tells me, okay, this incident was not like planted into your head. It's not something that you heard a voice saying like, do it, shoot her. You can't trust her. She's the problem. Mm-hmm. No, it was a week's at least worth of actual physical detailed planning a year of contemplation which in some courts the contemplation is enough to prove premeditation Mm -hmm. just throwing that out there but also i mean this kid had every resource to get the help and that's what bugs me. you have to manage your own mental illness no matter what that is and then you think of whose responsibility is that when it's a child yeah and had he been in a public school system would it have been caught seen yeah would there have been additional resources was it truly the best thing for him it probably was i mean it seems like his parents tried to do everything they could for him if they believed that this was the best thing for him or they were advised that that's what it was then they homeschooled and they did what they needed to do um i can't imagine that's easy no the mom used to work she wasn't i'm sure i don't think she was able to because of the homeschooling so i mean yeah sacrifices were made i don't at all think he was neglected no and i like that he was with a counselor you know even infrequently is better than nothing i don't know when he like how frequently he was going and that's what i couldn't find but it was like the mom said he wasn't allowed to tell his therapist about it right not a therapist his therapist his therapist okay so he's engaged even if if only for one session i don't know Mm -hmm. it's just to me you have someone's number after one session to me that wording that that stuck out to me yeah and not but not every source said it you know and so it's all these things but it's like you know that that was called into play right i think for me the most concerning part is the finality of the whole thing Mm -hmm. for someone who i'm not even i'm not even sure how i feel i know that I feel confident from what has been presented to me right yeah, maybe now. Maybe he'll get an appeal. I mean, it's only, yeah. been, he's literally only been in prison for this a few months. Yeah. Which, and I'm sure he's in some kind of juvenile facility until he ages out of it, but he's aged out, right? Cause oh, he was 20. God, he's already the... 20. Yeah. I'm thinking my mind went to 16. I'm sure he probably had to age out, but yeah. yeah. So he's in, a, he's in an adult men's so, prison right now, but yeah, I, and I get it. I think that, at least with morality like this stuff, it should be developed by nine or ten that you understand right from wrong in mm-hmm. terms of like life material. Um, but psychology, like any science, is always changing and growing. I don't know. And ultimately, I think that's the concerning part of this. It's a very final sentence with a lot of unknowns. 
even if I feel confident that he planned and prepped and executed. Yeah. Uh, this this case made me think. And it's also, again, time relative right now. So yeah. I well, hope you guys um, all have a very wonderful New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, don't run upstairs for a random call. Ask what it's about first. I don't know. And just, you know, keep an eye on the people that you care about. And, you know, mental health services are always great. 988 is there ah, for a reason. Yeah. We always talk about SAMHSA. We talk about all that stuff. I won't bore you with it but you know we always have it in our highlights and our instagram page which reminds me oh yeah abble dabble mm-hmm. how might they get to our instagram page you know to like request the case they want for oh. lucky 50 and you know for january and, and the polls See. and the highlights and the important info and all that stuff where might all they the find faces that? and the places and the polls and the things well, if I'm remembering right, and you can totally correct me, I might be wrong. Oh, I will. Um, they could go to Instagram okay. and do a little searchy search. Searchy search. And they could look up About Time for True Crime Pod with yeah. periods in between every words. Oh, okay. So that's A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. And then I believe all of our highlights are there, including a very cute little reprieve highlight which I love all our of our favorite highlight. little memes and wholesome things yes. and they could see all the faces they could send us that little dm about what they want for you know uh, 51 to 100 uh-huh. i know and pod pets pod pets they could send in little photos of theirs tell us their cute little nicknames and their cute actual names and then if they actually wanted to send us like a whole list of every pet they've ever owned maybe a little too long for a dm they could email us but where could they do that so if they wanted to email us they could do that Mm -hmm. at about time Mm -hmm. the number four tc at gmail so that would Mm. be a b o u t t i m e numeric four tc at gmail.com we would absolutely love to hear from you yeah a hundred percent with all of the things we talked about and more yeah what are your takes on this case this is a thinker this one made me puzzled. And guess what? I'm still puzzled. So this is where I stand. <laughs> Love it. Um, Love this for me. Ending 2022 the way we started it. Confused. With a thinker. And but chat uh, about it because that's what we're here for. Yeah. And I will correct anything if more comes to light or more information comes out or I find something that I wasn't able to find. But really what we like to do here and just want to end this year with that is that we're all learning and growing together and it's just important to talk about these things and we love and appreciate every single one of you who come and hang out with us a couple times a week we really do love you thank you for making 2022 one of the most memorable years for Allie and I and we really can't wait to start and kick ass in 2023 with you guys hell yes we are so excited we're so grateful for you all and we are hoping that despite our time together sharing the horrid stories of humanity that you really have enjoyed this holiday season with your family and your loved ones. We hope you have a very, very, very happy new year. Yes. Um, keep the peace. Peace be the journey. All that good stuff. All that good, good. And we will see you next year. <laughs> Lol. Well, um, well, if I look at your watch and you look at mine... Oh, I think your watch does say that that was Was about time for true crime. Bye. See you next year.